Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and welcome to the number one game development podcast of game development and the lifestyle thereof. This is a special episode. This is Glassdoor Confessions. Uh, thank you guys for joining live. Thank you guys for listening in. Uh, we are nearing the end of the year, which means there's only a couple episodes left before we start a new slate of 2021 hopefully it's welcoming a better year than last year i think anything anything is an improvement from 2020 which completely sucked i think in every regard but uh without further ado this episode is dedicated to glassdoor confession this is an episode that or a segment that's been a part of the show since the very beginning and it is to explore a company's background Glassdoor reviews and try to figure out why exactly developers are not either happy or really happy, right? And a lot of this is unplanned. Glassdoor confession comes out of the uh, natural evolution of what's going on with the industry, which is usually when a studio is fucking up and we have to do a report and just dig in deep through the rumors pass all the naysayers and just get to the truth as much as we can by the end of the episode and leave it up to you guys to decide whether it's worth a damn or not right so uh, a little bit of a background before we go into too deeply uh glassdoor is not <laughs> a sponsor of this episode glassdoor is the website that game developers use uh to kind of get a preview of what the company's like because it's filled with anonymous reviews from people from that company and as well as uh just people who 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 are at management all the way to regular grunts of the industry so i personally use it a- anytime i want to check out a, a studio or i'm interviewing for a process I always go there to kind of give a better insight uh, and, and get past all the noise. And it's actually a pretty good measure. And, and in my past experience, I myself have done Glassdoor reviews uh, that, got, <laughs> that got pretty bad, which I'm not ready to share yet. But uh, it, it created quite a noise at a, at a certain company. But so uh, companies take it pretty seriously. Uh, people who apply for jobs like ourselves uh, take it pretty seriously. So it's overall good good middle ground to uh, at least give some kind of uh, idea of what that company is like. So uh, this the subject of this episode is dedicated to Daybreak Studios. Uh, Daybreak Studios is, don't be surprised, I'm not surprised that you guys might have not even heard of it. Uh, but recently, what caught my attention is Daybreak Studios got sold by EG7 Global for $300 million, Forge EG7. So EG7 Global is like a conglomerate game company uh, that has a, like a like a bunch of game companies under its umbrella. 
went out and bought Daybreak Studios for $300 million. So, this past year was a weird one. I mean, the pandemic didn't really make too much of an impact. You saw an increase in mobile games. You saw an increase of people in general playing games. Increase in sales from games that were able to get released, were in release. Um, but you also see a side of a lot of acquisitions being made. Just a lot of game studios being bought up. Uh, Microsoft going pretty hard out there in the paint for their Game Pass. Um, you know, uh, recently Insomniac, I think in the, early in the year or a little, a little bit before 2020 was sold to um, Sony. And then Daybreak, out of nowhere, got sold for $300 million. That's a big bucks, man. And this is a studio... Uh, and within their own right, was mostly known for H1Z1. They did a bunch of stuff for Lord of the Rings online. Uh, legitimate games. But the question was, they haven't done anything the past four or five years that uh, would incite an acquisition such as this, right? And at least in my opinion. And my opinion kind of reflects the public opinion because it was kind of weird. Um with the Spider-Man acquisition of Insomniac Games to Sony, that is somewhat understood, right? That is, they had a hit. They've been working with Sony for a long time. They examined the relationship going forward for the next five, 10 years. They saw that it was in alignment and then Sony bought them uh, in uh, in preparation of PS5. So, that made sense. But Daybreak out of nowhere, haven't really had a hit for the last 45 years and suddenly they got sold for $300 million. That's some mega bucks, man. So, uh, what we usually do at the beginning of these segments is I just go through and just look at the news and try to be as unbiased as possible, but I will have snarky comments and commentary throughout the episode uh, just based on what I'm seeing, right? So, without further ado, I'm going to go over to the roundtable news set to kind of use for this and look at the articles with you. All right, so this is the big piece of news right here, right? And I'll try to zoom out for you guys so you can take a look. So, Daybreak Studios being sold to EG7, never heard of them. And trust me, we'll go kind of go through it to kind of figure out what, what's going on over there. Um, so, they own SSG, I forgot what that stands for, Lord of the Rings, Dido. The company holding the hot potato this round is EG7 Global. Take a look at them, which we recall just really made news for buying Piranha Games. This is, this is the thing with game development. There's like a lot of these studios that you, you normally wouldn't attribute to success, but because they have, you know, the Mech Warrior is a known license, right? Obviously, they've done pretty well to get to five. Um, but Piranha Games isn't like a studio that first comes to mind about making mega bucks enough to for other companies to kind of buy it. But uh, for twenty four million, for twenty four million, EG Seven, which stands for Enod Global Seven, let's look this up in a bit. It's a Swedish publisher. According to Enod's press release, Piranha will continue operating and reporting independently. It's on a stand to earn an additional $48 million in cash and shares over the next five years if the company performs to expectations. Piranha hasn't issued a statement of its own yet. December is going to be an exciting month for MWO with holiday events and sales and the final preparation for launching the NWO initiative in January 21. The 
Devs promise in Monday's update this will include a town hall style broadcast in early December where Russ will discuss his plans for MechWarrior Online going into the new year in greater detail and answer questions for the community. All right. I mean, that's 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 a little preview, at least what's going on over there. My my concern with that is that who the hell is EG7? Uh, why do they have so much money uh, going around? I, I think anything Swedish, anything uh, when it comes to company buying up things, I only kind of refer back to uh, THQ Nordic. Right now, THQ Nordic is like a whole different thing. They're a whole different crowd and the group of individuals that are kind of turning things around for that IP uh, of, of, a, of a very historic company. But years ago, if you guys remember, you know, there was a major bankruptcy. There was a major like um, business uh, 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 connery going on <laughs> where, 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 where a lot of insiders were kind of taking money into their own pockets and not reinvesting into the company. And uh, that as a whole had to go bankrupt and another group had to buy it all the IPs and they had to like shelf out all the games uh, individually to different companies. And then THQ Nordic now were able to buy all those IPs back and form its own image into a better image. So there was a history there that I feel like it's so close to what I'm feeling with this one. Um, just based on like these weird acquisitions uh so eg7 let's take about let's dig through here i don't know anything about these guys uh eg7 is a group of companies within the game industry that develops markets publishers and distributes pc yeah 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 in addition the group's marketing department patrol has contributed to the release of 1500 titles of which many are world famous brands such as call of duty yeah come on you didn't really do those it's just one person that did that. Um, the Gruis Publishing and Distribution Department sold out holds expertise in both physical and digital publishing and has previously worked with Team 17. Oh, God. Okay. Seven operative groups and we continue to grow. All right. So, EG7 has seven operative groups. That's pretty short-sighted if they have more than seven companies. But they own Daybreak now, right? Which is, I guess, their seventh Seventh game, maybe they'll change it to EG8 next time. Piranha Games, which we just covered, which is the uh, the Mech Warrior series. Patrol Advertising. So they own a creative marketing agency that helps with advertising all the games. That makes sense. Big Blue Bubble is an established video developer with 15 years of creating fun innovative games. Who is Big Blue Bubble? Yeah, the thing with this type of segment for Glassdoor, I always go down this rabbit hole when I, I start like looking into things. And it's always games I never heard of when it comes to companies like this out of the blue, out of nowhere, just have all this cash to throw around to companies that you wouldn't like. It's not Candy Crush, right? When Activision bought the Candy Crush guys, the King, what were they called? Uh, Candy Crush. It's like King King Candy. I think it's called King. Yeah, it's just King. When they bought King, right? Because they only had they only had Candy Crush, but Candy Crush was the biggest game ever. It was understood, right? You get it. 
I was at Sledgehammer when that happened and they announced that. And I was like, yeah, makes sense. You know, Activision wants to get into the mobile game in a big way. So they bought the biggest player in the mobile market right then and there for not just the IP, but for the resources and the ability to expand in the mobile space without having to build things from the ground up because they had all the right people and resources, right? But when I hear them buying games such as the Mech Warrior guys, the Daybreak guys, and then this this company, big bubble, bubble. All right, let's talk. Let's think about what exactly do they do? They've been around for 15 years. It's an established game developer. They're the pioneer. They've done 100 titles since 2004. All right. I mean, let's be real. When you do 100 titles like that, it's mostly throwaway work. Um, creator of the Belota free-to-play mobile game, My Singer, My Singing Monster. So it was a mobile game. Maybe it's big. Again, this is by ignorance with the mobile market. I've never heard of it. Maybe it's a really good game. Singing Monsters. Let's take a look at that. It's a volume up, you guys hear, right? They have an audience. I mean, 300K people, subscribers on YouTube. They seem to have a weekly episode and quite a community to support. Fast on i mean the thing with this is i'm always interested in how how the bigger guys look at acquisition and what makes a company um attractive sustainability is definitely huge i mean if you're a company that supports multiple developers and it looks like 50 to 100 people over 15 years that holds a lot of ground in my opinion than one hit wonders sold out combines a wealth experience there's a company called sold out so right now i'm looking at all the eg7 companies which is made of seven different entities and it's just showing me a side of the industry that i am not very knowledgeable about all right disjunction so looking at sold out that's the company one of they actually uh, actually own. I'm looking at an isometric game. It looks pretty cool. Cool graphics. I mean, like, there is a history here, at least, like, these very non-top-10 type of games are, are, are under the EG7 umbrella, but very diverse. So, I'm seeing a very diverse portfolio, probably each having their own specialty that brings to the table their own set of resources. Maybe they're aiming towards one big thing. But this episode is dedicated to Daybreak Games. So let me kind of go through Daybreak Games real quick uh, before we go too deep with EG7. So Daybreak Games, in my experience, uh, 
I've known a couple of people that went through that studio. They're at San Diego base in California. Um, the people I talked to that went through that studio, I think they originally worked on a horror game. They worked on Planetside 2, first EverQuest, DC Universe Online. That I did here in terms of recent games from them that kind of busted. Uh, it, it was the only cool thing that I, I remember seeing was all these um, CG trailers they had, which kind of went together to uh, to tell like a full story of the DC universe. And at that time, there was no like DC movies or anything, just cartoons. And so I was watching, I was binging through those and, and balancing that with the Mortal Kombat CG trailers <laughs> because I, I do love the DC universe. Um, so my, my best, I was getting my appetite quenched from these trailers. So EverQuest 2, I mean, they are, these are big games. I didn't know Daybreak did all these. They Were they in charge of the whole thing? So Daybreak Games... Uh, the most recent one is, of course, H1Z1, right? Which started the whole, I mean, the famous story with how Player Battle Royale, Player Unknown Battle Royale was made, I think was a developer at this studio, if I was, or was the Arma 2. Oh my God, let me check my facts real quick. Uh, Dean Hall, right? Creator of Player Unknown battle royale i'm going through wikipedia right now he left the daisy development team in 2014 to found his own studio daisy which later became a mod what was he working at uh bohemia interactive okay that's completely different bohemia interactive is at armor 3 that's where he created his daisy project but h1z1 kind of shared the same similar bloodline of uh player unknown it was like very similar universe it didn't it did all right but it didn't do too great it kind of lost its footing after all the battle royale games started coming out but the thing is uh that was it i mean um, h1z1 was five years ago h1z1 was oh no no, Z1 Battle Royale, which is their add-on, was released in 2018. But H1Z1, the original game, came out 2014 or something. Yeah, 2014. This is a game. This is a really old game. No one has really talked about Daybreak. This is where the confusion really starts. Although they have a good history of mega games. I mean, EverQuest is huge. This was like two decades ago. That was a long time ago. Planetside 2 was all right. I know friends that worked on that. It was never like a top charter. And H1Z1 was kind of banking on that craze a bit during the whole beginning of Player Unknown Battle Royale. They were one of the originators, in my opinion, that, that kind of really tried to expand that 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 space. But it never really took anybody's chunk of time that much. And so, my, my history when I talk about Daybreak 
comes mostly from personal experience of people who went through that studio. And I've always remembered how lowly reviewed their experience was through there. And it's been usually the typical uh, not approving CEO, bad practices, crunch culture, things like that. And I've always, you know, kept my tabs on that studio because San Diego is another great hotspot. Unfortunately, not a lot of game studios are there. The only biggest, the biggest one is, of course, <laughs> I mean, Rockstar, Rockstar San Diego. That's where, uh, that's where Red Dead comes from, right? So I've always kept my eyes around that area if I ever had to go down there, right? Um, earlier in my career, uh, that was like a beacon for me. And so Daybreak was like kind of like the second tier studios if I were to ever plant my flag in San Diego because it was a great spot to kind of be at for that reason. But when it came to actually listening to friends that went through that studio, it really dropped down to the bottom of the list quickly because they just really hold up bad experiences from there. And uh, let's kind of kind of dig through the, the the glass door stuff to kind of figure out what's going on here. So at the very top of the page, for all those listeners, but for all those viewing, you can follow along in your own accord. Huh. I always find it funny when the top one is like five stars. It's always suspicious. But this was May 24th, 2019. There's no job quite like this one. I've been working at Daybreak uh, Game Company full-time for more than a year. So, this is about a year ago, right? a year and a half. The pros are good work-life balance. Overtime is unusual. On the game team, I'm on visible expectation of what is necessary to be promoted. My supervisor is very good at helping accomplish yearly goals and skill growth. Very pleased with management on this team. I do not know how much about the other teams here. As a whole, the company is LGBT friendly and has an above ratio of female employees also in management. Expectations about work are clear and I don't feel pressure about when, how I finish my work opposite of being micromanaged. I also get help easily without irritation from coworkers and lots of patients. I'm surprised by the amount in which my opinion is valued even though I am surrounded by a lot of very experienced, knowledgeable people. We have some fun but generally everyone is here to get work done and doesn't mess around. It feels like a casual work environment but it's not casual in its professionalism. Who is this person? Programmer. Okay. I think a lot of the negative reviews are honest for whoever wrote them and probably fair. I think part of the problem is the reality of running a business in the game industry. Oh my God. I'm not trusting this person already. I think part of the problem is reality of running a business in a game and you're a programmer. Why would you know about this? If a company is failing to release successful games over an extended time period, it is very competitive. They will not be able to give good bonuses and they will have to have layoffs, which is true for daybreak and makes employers unhappy. I am optimistic for the future. Depending on where you look, this company offers very stable positions in a notorious, unstable industry. Listening and keeping employees in loop helps us feel valued included. I mean, there's a couple of pointers there that already contradicts itself. Like, how can you call it uh, stable when Daybreak has routine layoffs? Uh, it, it seems very protective. Wow. Listening 
I wonder if this person's management. But very rarely, a red flag for me have always been very rarely a company's five stars. Even the best company in the world, which I haven't found that does everything perfectly, is never five stars, right? There's always something that is a little off. And if you have any cons whatsoever, it's not a five-star review, right? If you look at the cons and you make excuses for it, saying that that's how the industry works and daybreak is no different, and maybe that is somewhat true, you have to acknowledge that there are bad reviews here that is saying something about the company that you yourself acknowledged, but you're willing to kind of shove that under the rug for whatever reason, right? It seems very odd to me when, when reviews go about that way. I mean, I don't think it's too fake because there's a lot of detail here in the pro section that feels like it is being drawn from a genuine perspective. But the disingenuous part feels like there is some kind of extra incentive this person has within the company, maybe some stocks or their job is that protected partly because maybe they're a programmer because those guys are made men or women. Uh, there is a sense of security with this person. I, I feel that they're not feeling this types of stress that their colleagues is feeling. So we'll just keep that in the middle ground of nice to know. I mean, overall, like I'm scanning to the top, right? 2.5 stars on glass to review out of 43 reviews, right? 37% would recommend to a friend to work here. 17% approval of CEO. So, how can you have that and have a five-star review at the very top? I mean, this is... Glassdoor really is taken seriously by a lot of employers because they know it is a measure for a lot of prospective talent. Uh, and it's the first place to go for a lot of people to kind of understand the, the studio culture. And so when it's this bad at 2.5 review, uh, management is kind of pushed to write favorable reviews anonymously to kind of help, help boost that up. And of course, you know, it's set up that way so that the first thing that a person sees when they're lazy uh, is a, a five-star review at the top of the post trying to combat you know, the bad press that they're getting so far, right? So, let me do something else. Actually, besides that, what I also like to look at is how many people find it helpful, right? They have this helpful link, which is genius. I think it's like uh, the equivalent of a Facebook like, right? But it's just as impactful, as the Facebook like button where any colleague, any anonymous review, if they agree to that review can click on that. And this helps inform the viewer, us who is browsing through a studio culture and a studio page to know how genuine this review is reflected to other colleagues. This has zero, right? So this, this kind of, <laughs> kind of displays what I'm talking about, right? There's such a, you can't have this much of a disagreement to the rest of the page. If this had more likes, that would help inform that, yeah, this there's a lot of people that feel this way. So, let me go ahead and do uh, most recent. Done. Uh, great work culture. 
three stars. So this is from most recent, November 30th, 2020. I think this is right after the acquisition. I worked at Daybreak Game Company full-time for more than a year. This is from a senior user designer, experienced designer. Pros, great direct managers to work with. Cons, need more innovation. Company one. <laughs> this is short and sweet. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Doesn't tell us much. Skipping to the next one. February 5th, 2020, beginning of the year, before the pandemic. Wow, that's a huge gap. That's the biggest gap I've ever seen on a Glassdoor review. The most recent one is three stars, which is great, but there isn't really much to say. Um, the title is Great Work Culture. And the next one is February 5th, right before the pandemic. One star. Uh, former employee, lead character artist in San Diego. Wow, this guy is calling himself out. A little pro tip for those who are looking to create a Glassdoor review. I, I, I highly encourage anybody, right? If you worked at a company to give your honest review whenever you can, because it really does help with the rest of, uh, to the rest of us of how to like search for new jobs. But do not call yourself out, right? So if you're a lead character artist, there's only one of those. Within a company, maybe a few, if there's a multiplayer team and a single player team, whatever, and maybe there's multiple projects, sure. But it's a very small circle, man. So unless you're like throwing like a red herring, throwing people completely off the scent, right? And you're not a lead character artist, don't put that on. <laughs> because you you are, uh, I guess this guy's a disgruntled employee. He's a former employee, so he doesn't give a damn. Good people, titled, okay company, reactionary management. Uh, one star means doesn't recommend, has a completely negative outlook, and disapproves of the CEO. This person worked at Daybreak Game Company full-time for more than five years. Uh, pros are good people and decent de- benefits. Cons are poor management decisions based on knee-jerk reactions. Yeah, sounds about right. Three people found that helpful. Here's a four-star review. A month before that, this uh, associate game designer in Austin. I forget Daybreak. Yeah, Daybreak has multiple studios. They have one in San Diego, which is one of the main studios, and then in Austin, Texas. I've been working at Daybreak Game Company full-time for more than a year. This is a associate game designer. Pros, a lot of creative freedom management takes place. Uh, a lot of trust in your work. Snacks and beverages are always provided. Very little to no crunch. Great team environment. Cons, two, three layoffs in one year can leave anyone on edge in general. Advice to management, continue the good work. What do you mean? No one found that helpful. How can that be helpful? How you, <laughs> you said the bad thing is there's like three layoffs in the past year. And then you tell management to continue the good work, continue people laying off people. Uh, three is not enough. What a, what a weird thing to say. January 5th, a little before that one. Ah, see, that's the thing that is always interesting to how this works. Because whenever there's like the most recent bad review, it's completely followed up by something that tries to overcompensate. Like in this case, a one-star review in January 5th was followed by a four-star review in January 21st that notes like probably the worst thing that can happen to you at a CEO, which are layoffs to an individual uh, with advice to management saying, keep doing awesome work. 
<laughs> so no one found that helpful. All right. This one, this one's pretty good. Uh, this one, 15 people found this helpful. This is probably the most actually in recent, recent reviews. Uh, January 5th, 2020. Cruelty, ignorance, and incompetence at the top. All right. Kind of counters the continue the good work to management. Uh, this is a current employee. Wow. Big balls in this one. An engineer in San Diego. Those guys really don't care. Uh, doesn't recommend negative outlook. Disapproves of CEO. I have been working at Daybreaking Company full-time for more than 10 years. Uh, pros, LGBT friendly, clean offices, convenient locations, generous Holiday schedule. Wow, I've never really seen Glassdoor conf- uh, in any of our Glassdoor confession episodes where I'm reading through a review where LGBT has been mentioned so 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 often as being uh, positive um, to to and being such a part of the student culture that people keep highlighting it even in bad reviews. So there must be at least doing something really good in that area to make everyone feel inclusive uh, for, for even people shitting on them on Glassdoor have to give them <laughs> props and a thumbs up, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's kind of, there's some truth there that that's pretty funny. The con is, let me read all oh, this. Is a huge one. <laughs> So pros are four lines and the cons is like an essay. All right, here's the cons. Daybreak is run like a mafia. Employees are ordered to spy on others who are suspected of being disloyal. How does that work? Producers spying on Facebook. Uh, management issued stern warnings that those who are reported for negativity, even when off campus, can be terminated. Holy shit. Work environment is hostile. Employees are pitted against each other. Teams are pitted against each other. HR cannot be trusted, of course. HR is not for you, dude. It's for the company. They are used as a tool to manipulate and threaten staff. Management is demonstrably incompetent, insists on changes to projects that are often unfeasible and sometimes impossible and always out of touch with the project. Upper management are bullies. Leads are undermined, retaliated against, and replaced if they do not, do not follow marching orders. Zero accountability at the top. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty standard. Decisions made by management result in a loss of millions of dollars. Yet management probably shows off their new luxury cars and new houses in the wake of layoffs and ever dwindling profit sharing businesses. Company brings in premium hires to run existing teams. These types invariably undermine the game's expert and sink teams morale as they ram through uninformed decisions. Buildings are health empty. Three large layoffs in the past 15 months. Staff fired for minor infractions. Good people have left or are leaving for more stability and less hostility. Daybreak is struggling to bring on and keep quality staff. Manage and ask employees to write positive reviews to offset the negative ones. Companies is in the midst of a rebranding to shed their bad industry reputation while keeping the same people and policies that led to this reputation. I mean, it's it's always disheartening for me to kind of read these things because I've lived through this. Um, you know, being a young developer once and then being a, a veteran developer, holding on to that young developer spirit of trying to fix things. Uh, you're always have hope that things can be turned around, but most of the time you're being taken advantage of. Uh, and you know, these little groups get formed and office politics is a real thing, man. It's a real bummer. It really kills the momentum of building a game that everyone loves. And, um, 
especially when a company has bad industry reputation where they're finding it difficult to get prospective hires in, even if they have funding for a new project, uh, they can't get quality people in there. And so, uh, what happens is that internally the studio turns on the people that are there that are still supporting them. They kind of, yeah, the spine thing is a real thing. I've been through that. Uh, these frequent internal meetings within each discipline, trying to kind of sniff out the negativity, the negative person. It's a mentality of trying to like cut out the poison of the company to start anew again, uh, rather than fixing the, the problems that is poisoning the well, right? They try to like pin it on people complaining about the poisoning it's a weird thinking right it's like hey these are shitty problems all right uh who's complaining about shitty problems because they're the problem for bringing up the shitty problems right never mind the shitty problems that are apparently there causing problems it's the people complaining about that's giving notice to the shitty problems that that we got to get rid of uh it's a very toxic way of thinking things and a lot of it is just that 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 impenetrable group at the very top that uh that is allowed to kind of do whatever they want. And, you know, as long as they're, they're, they're the balance sheet is good, their bonuses that seems to, you know, never be available for the general team, but always available for upper management. Uh, and it's one of those things. It's like, uh, it's a very business mindset of selling companies, right? It's like, I'm just getting far enough to make things valuable so that I can, head towards retirement as fast as they can. And it's not about uh, sustaining a business where there is industry praise and uh, promoting good studio culture, right? It's a whole different thinking. It's a lot like anybody who is coming out from other industries, coming in the game industry just for the sole fact of making money and not caring about the product, right? And uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of companies like that. I mean, the PS3, PS4 phase transition, PS3 era, especially of studios, so many closures during that time because it was studios run that way. And a lot of that is a mix of that as well as just not knowing what they're doing. And uh, and the transitional uh, console generation always has an effect of how do we grow the team responsibly, but still put out quality games on a t- in a timely manner, right? There's always that, it's always a scary time. Like this PS4 to PS5, the new generation, is always a scary time for development teams because don't know, you know, the expectations are always twice as much of the availability of output from, you know, the team itself. Since we're still 50 people, we're, we're expected to kind of put out a game that 100 people used to make. Uh, used to be to make that game, right? So what I'm seeing right here with Daybreak is a lot of the same issues, right? And this is this is kind of confirming what I was kind of talking about at the beginning, right? When I think of Daybreak Studios, I don't think about any hit games in the last five years. I kind of recall back to my friends that worked and went through that. So yeah, it, it's always... Uh, it's a concern for me because I, I hear like this type of thing. The last time I heard someone was working there was about seven years ago. And I remember him recalling 
these things. Like it was the same thing. It was management being poor. Uh, they would have great opportunities coming in uh, based on past IPs and past successes. And they would get these chances and they just would foul it up, right, uh, to the finish line. And uh, while they're trying to finish up projects, all these problems would arise, distrust and uh, just management and, 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 and owners trying to take as much bonuses as they can during the process, feeding lies and then following it with layoffs. It, it's, it's an unfortunate situation. And as I was hearing it, <laughs> because I'm always curious about how other studios are run, I just had this idea where like, wow, that, that studio, because this person just recently left, he was saying that they were on their last legs. So in my eyes, I was like, oh, well, in a couple more years, that studio will be done. Only to find out seven years later that they made a $300 million acquisition. And that was me more trying to figure out well, there's probably there's obviously something missing in that puzzle where a, a horribly run company having all these problems and low retention rate, right? Um, you know, the, the the door was rotating, a revolving door that people were just leaving and barely, you know, half half. Not to fault any <laughs> developers, but there's a, there's a thing here where a studio starts at the height of quality and gets all these like crazy heavy hitters at the beginning. And then because of the bad press, because of the, of the bad review games and lower profit margins, you're not going to, you know, all those good people that are worth a damn usually leave a studio uh, because they have opportunities all the time. And because of all the problems, they, they, they bring in, talent but let's be honest it's not as good right uh and mo most of them are probably not looking at daybreak as first choices right so there, there's already like a riff with that relationship for any new hires and even if they're coming as late it's for the money right it's to cash in cash out so you have these type of managers kind of coming in replacing the like the heavy hitters and they know what the game is right it's like hey uh, not the game itself, but like how the studios run is like, hey, this is not this is not something that I'm staking my retirement funds on. It's more like a job and the companies run a certain way and they're looking for yes men. And I'm going to be that yes man because this is how the game is played. Right? It, it, becomes, it, it becomes like one of those feeding bad with bad and it, it just snows balls to, to a studio closure. But in this case... <laughs> It led to an acquisition of $300 million. So what what makes that part crazy is like there's obviously a part of that equation in some backstory that we're never going to be privy to that somehow made Daybreak somehow look like a $300 million acquisition to EG7. Uh, but also it also brings into question on what the hell is EG7 thinking? Like, what is their grand plan here? Because my intuition to see the realities of a company is going through Glassdoor, right? They have way more information than that. They can look at their uh, be, their books. They can look at 
way more information that that will ever the public will ever have. But just looking at the glass door itself, and then them going ahead to make buy, it just kind of tells me that it's the rich guys giving a thumbs up to the rich guys, right? And, and that kind of like this is how you manage it. Look at your profit margin for management, right? The top guys, your leads are making mega bucks. Although you had to make some hard cuts, three layoffs, six layoffs, they love that stuff, right? Um, a year, right? They're like, well, you're just making sure your profit margin was in in place, right? So you're always going to uh, always be in a situation where <laughs> it, it's highly encouraged that uh, that people are that people are uh, agreeing with you. So when it comes to this, it's always disheartening to see, but it's it's the same story over and over again. Uh, why did EG7 bought it? Because they're the same people on the other side of the fence. They look at the balance sheet and they're like, every year you've been making profit because you lay off like 50 people on average <laughs> every time, every three, six months, great job on that. Uh, you're, you're, you still manage to be a name in the industry that, you know, uh, are securing deals, which is odd too, because H1Z1, like, if you guys can see it, it's like, that was five years ago. I mean, the last thing they did was going into battle royale with their sorry IP that no one played, right? 2018, you're kidding me. Fortnite was dominating play fire by, uh, Players Unknown Battle Royale was dominating, and then that was the onset of Apex Legends, and then now War Zones. Like, at what time frame during 2018 to now that anybody spoke of H1Z1 and were excited about? Nobody, right? So, I mean, that game to me is already dead in the waters just by conversation alone. There was no one playing it. But somehow, Despite all these issues, and despite that they weren't making that much money, right? How could they? Maybe just enough to flip the studio. But with these reviews, you know, this last one, last 15 months uh, from January 2020, were just uh, sequential layoffs and firing. And good people leaving for more stability and less hostility. And this struggle to bring on and keep quality staff, right? So that that's a that problem must have continued throughout 2020, as we're kind of seeing. And then somehow that led to an acquisition, which is very odd to me. There's something fishy going on. It's like no one looks at this from the inside using Glassdoor as that insight. And it'd be a different story if H1Z1 was a number one hit, or at least number three or four, right? Where it was at least a part of the Battle Royale conversation. But from what I'm seeing, it wasn't. And from what I remember, it isn't. So what money are they bringing in that makes them so attractive uh, besides from their past IPs. And then when we were looking at EG7, it didn't feel like they are in the business of turning things around. <laughs> I don't know, man. 
I need to look at EG7 again. It's such an odd thing. Like in terms of like Glassdoor, I'm not seeing. Don't waste your time. Like I'm reading through these real quick. 2019, don't waste your time. Terrible pay, lack of communication. Uh, good people to work with, bad management. Yeah, I mean, this is an onslaught of, of just terrible reviews. And then, you know, then me. Oh, shit. All right. This is what I want to point out right before we move forward, right? This is what I'm talking about. Like, there's like a certain rhythm with glass store reviews that you know it's like that, you know, bullshit. And it usually is when there's like a slew of really bad reviews for the company. And when they're in a time of like really needing talent to come through to kind of finish these offs, like 2018, right? Let's see. That's when H1Z1. Battle Royale was coming right bad, so I'm I'm looking through this and there's a visual component for all those uh, podcast listeners. I'm going through this this twenty September twenty fifth, twenty eighteen, Bad Royale Directionless, and then uh, November sixteenth, Bad One Star, uh, December seventh, Software Developer One Star. Man, these everybody and their mom that worked there in twenty eighteen was reviewing. The Vision is dead. December nineteen. Uh, December 20th, a decent place that has been ruined. Uh, one star, this 2018. Uh, February 3rd, 2019, the problems start at the top. Uh, incompetent management. There is, uh, let me read this out loud here. Uh, this is a consistent theme in other negative reviews. There's a reason for that. Bland corporate culture. The place felt like less a game studio, more like an office where people make games. Management is responsible for this. Two layoffs in eight months, limited upward movement. You either have to move departments or have your boss leave, get laid off to move up. Jesus. Management exiles people that dare to speak up about the real estate affairs. As soon as another review put it like the mafia, obey or you're gone all right uh one star many red flags a huge disconnect between management that's march 19 2019 and then april 9 2019 four stars great people here for the long tons of passion and there might be a difference there this is from austin texas office versus the san diego uh the Austin office says there was interference from headquarters in San Diego, which is always bad. HR recently extremely dishonest and not into valuing employees. CEO has little idea how to run a business. Uh, treat people or make gains, but we make do. Your employees are worth more than you think. And it would be great if you could stop spending your dollars on half-baked bad ideas for new games that no one believes in. So we could keep those talented people around, let the professional design and run the games. But somehow that's four stars. Maybe that is true. Maybe Austin, Texas was run differently. A lot of the issues, they can kind of just blame it on the other side of the fence, saying Austin was the real problem to that. But four stars is a bit extreme, though. It's like, guys, even if you're like the satellite company over at Austin, you're still part of Daybreak. You can't give it a four star saying things are great but none of our none of our directors from the headquarters is giving us uh making things any easier i I don't know three stars at best i wouldn't put four stars on that let's see with it but yeah when you have this bad string of reviews there's usually like a couple of 
four or five stars thrown in there to kind of help stop the bleeding a bit. So after like that string of one star reviews, suddenly all the five star, four star reviews started happening. Fully supported, happy and well paid. I've been working daily for eight years. Uh, full support of creative solutions, an open and accountable and rational approach to business. Jesus. For those who like write fake reviews, if you're part of management, never introduce rational approach to business as justification for layoff. If you're a good business person, you should be operable with your full staff and not about cutting people like cattle to kind of balance the books. It's, it's such a bad way to kind of put it in your pro section. But there's, you know, there's a five-star review, executive producer, obviously that's management. Great place to work at. Been here for 15 years, five-star. Well, you're the CEO probably. That's why you like it. And your profit margins are always great. I've uh, worked at the best franchising company. I've seen the ups and downs over the years, but it has been my favorite job in the game. I've worked a lot of companies. In my experiment, uh, experience with Daybreak, it has been a solid place to work. We don't, really don't have the negative feeling here that others on teams have. Jesus. There's no job like this one. Programmer in San Diego, five stars. Good work-life balance. Overtime is unusual. Yeah, man, there's just too much management. Oh, my God. There should be a class that helps people lie better on Glassdoor. Um, and it'll be a very short class, to be honest. <laughs> because all, all, all I need to tell you is, like, don't overcompensate the lies. Just stick with three... 3.5 at most, but don't go all the way to four to five star after a one star review because people can see it. They're not stupid. But I think I've seen enough. <laughs> I think I agree that overall, Daybreak Game Company is a 2.5 star company. Uh, in the last two, three years, have gone through multiple layoffs, unhappy staff, and the inability to retain good quality people. And the people who are there are very hurt by bad management and wishes that they're not there, <laughs> which is another thing. Like if you're if you're so upset that you have to express your frustration on an anonymous review site. I hope, I hope that you are also in your other tab, uh, job searching and looking at ways to get out of there because nothing is more sad than writing a one-star review of your company and then showing up the next day to that company. <laughs> it's such it's such a soul-crushing experience. And believe me, I've been there. I never wrote a review. I only wrote a couple. And that's after the fact. I that, That's me leaving the company and like me trying to help others from, from going to that company, dissuading them, or at least giving some insight to some truth of my experience there. 
But I always refuse to do it while I'm there because to me, that time is better spent to leaving. You, you got to figure that out. Like, how can you warn others when you don't put yourselves first and make a change? Uh, not by going back to that said bad company and trying to <laughs> reason with management. Uh, it's, it's more like making moves out of it. You have to get out of there because it does kill you as a game developer. Uh, so this, this at least confirms my, my, my initial thought before this whole investigation of Glassdoor. Uh, Daybreak, my initial thought was like, who the fuck are they? What have they done lately? And why are they worth $300 million in a pandemic? Like of all the times to buy a company, why Daybreak? Um, and looking through the site, I saw no reasons why. And this kind of makes me go back to EG7. Like, what is this company? What is their big plan here? There's not any technology that Daybreak is showing that would be useful uh, to them. Man, look at their stocks, though. They are climbing like a motherfucker. I mean, in terms of business, they're doing something right. From September 3rd, 2020, here, hopefully you guys can see this. I, I'm, now I'm going to dig through to the EG7 because I'm very curious. Uh, you know, if you guys are not investing in stocks, uh, here, here's my basic amateur overview. I mean, I own stocks, but I'm still very amateur at best. But the pandemic was has been good for stocks, right? In general, any crisis, uh, you would see a huge dip. And the last time in 2008, it took almost five to 10 years to recover to uh, for stocks, right? This pandemic was different where it took basically two to three months, very fast turnaround for stocks to recover and overcome, not just overcome, completely pass their our pre-pandemic stock price. So, stocks has been awesome. And it's been a great measure to kind of see uh, what to invest in, right? In terms of technology and more people actually getting into the game, right? So, right now, I'm looking at EG7, uh, looking at from September 2nd to 2020, right? From September 2nd, 2020, oh my God, they made over 200%. So, some September, uh, so beginning of the year to September, they've been averaging $36.50 per share, right? Going up and down around there. And then from September to now, they're worth $124.50. That's mean that they, they went 300% basically. So, if you put your, <laughs> that's a lot of money, man. You put your $5,000 at the beginning of September, you would have had 300% more, <laughs> $15,000 basically, uh, just by letting it sit in EG7, uh, the, the publisher company that bought Daybreak. I am not understanding. Uh, so, what exactly happened here uh, that gave stockholders so much confidence in them? Specialize in Daybreak. Now, I'm very curious about this company. 
And this is this is another company I never heard of. I mean, at least Daybreak I've heard of, but UG7 I haven't heard of until recently. Some games that they own, such as Mech Warrior, sure, Piranha Games, I heard of them a bit. But everything else, you know, I've never really heard of them. It doesn't mean anything, right? I don't know everything. I'm just trying to wrap my head around. At least to me, Daybreak was a logical buy, right? If I had $300 million, I wouldn't be putting it on Daybreak. But what do I know, right? Uh, EG7, apparently the last three months have been killing it in the stock market uh, with an increase of 300%. That tells me that these investments that they've been making have been paying off where stockholders are very happy in their return. And so every quarter, well, that's one quarter, uh, this last quarter, they made a lot of money. So let's try to see if I can find more of that bonds are redeemed, redemption bonds will be delisted. Oh, what is going on? Where is their stock stuff? Financial reports. Here we go. Okay. Press release. I'll read this and we'll just end it with this. All right. This is something that you guys should get used to looking into when there are acquisitions that it kind of helps you inform on the type of games you want to make. That's why I try to bring on developers from all corners in the industry because sometimes it's not just about you making your passion project. It's you kind of taking note of what's going on in the industry acquisitions such as this, um, you know, the money incentives uh, behind a lot of these buys kind of help inform you on what type of game design you should kind of prioritize to make your first game, second game, a third game. Because in the long run, you want to be making games forever. So, let's say you have this single player negative narrative experience that you always wanted to make. But it's just one of those games that is not a sure thing, right? It's it's based on what you want to make in the story you want to tell, but it's not the best financial sound decision, at least for a first game to make, right? Um, and so you're going to have to look at these type of things to see like, what's hot right now, what's going on. And this kind of helps you set rules for a creative output. And it, I think in that box you always come up with something creative right that really pushes you to be creative because when you're locked in a box you become your best self i think it's a long email uh this is a long note let me try to scan through this to see uh inside information let me read this paragraph enod global 7 ab publisher eg7 has today entered an agreement with the shareholders of Daybreak Game Company, LLC, to acquire 100% of the shares in Daybreak for a considerable amount of $300 million on cash and debt-free basis. Daybreak is a leading game development company located in San Diego. They're not. With additional office in Austin, Texas, and Needham, uh, Missouri, Massachusetts. Oh my God, I'm so bad with my, my states. Um, the consideration consists of a cash payment. So they have three students, didn't know that. Uh, consists of the cash payment and newly issued shares in UG7. So Daybreak having three studios means they have money, man. That means they made enough to sustain three studios through a pandemic. Uh, the consideration consists of a cash payment and newly issued shares in UG7. The transactions of uh, is of 
formational nature for EG7, following completion of transaction, blah, blah, blah. Uh, financials for the period January to September uh, 2020, including the recent acquisition of Big Blue Bubble that we just learned about and Piranha Games, the McWarrior guys, will amount to uh, 1322000 revenue and 411000000 million. I don't know what that means. Following the transaction, Daybreak's main owner, oh man, Jason Epstein. Oh, if there ever was a worse or last name to have during this time, will hold approximately 10% and and the additional current shareholders Daybreak will together hold approximately 3% of the total number of outstanding shares and votes in EG7. To finance parts of the transaction, EG7 has secured $900 million of Debt financing comprised of a 400 million three year revolving credit facility and a 500 million 12 month from loan facility, which term loans facility may be utilized at the sole discretion of each seven or be replaced by equity issue. Man, that's a lot of money, man. Just being borrowed is not even straight from EG7, it's just loan money to buy companies. So there's like multiple facilities, uh, in part of this deal. 300 million deal uh so in the end it's not even eg7's own money they just profit from what's left over from the transaction (laughs) oh it's so smart uh i'm always impressed by these deals where you never spend your own money and you use other people's money to make yourself money uh there's so much to learn from that It, it it pays to be a snake I never wish that upon myself and be that person, but holy hell, uh, it's a great skill to at least understand. <laughs> uh, to, to sniff a snake, you need to be the snake. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, carry out a share issue of up to 1.6 million directed Swedish and inter- Swedish, man. They know how to move money around. You always hear about those rich people having Swedish banks that are free from any taxes in the U.S., right? So, I, I would imagine the average Swedish businessman um, being <laughs> like the top percent of U.S. business, <laughs> just knowing how money works and being able to move things around to be the most profitable. Uh, direct shares tend to be resolved by the board directors, partly based on authorization of external blah, 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 blah. Uh, the transaction in brief, this is handy to us, right? Transaction is in line with their strategy. USD 100 million upfront considerations were paid with 10 million shares. Uh, 160 million of the upfront consideration will be paid in cash. Ooh, straight up cash right there for Daybreak. Uh, EG7 has decided to communicate guidance stating that Daybreak will generate adjusted or no less of 31 million for the fiscal year of 2020. The consideration amount to approximately 9.7. We'll be paid through the capital via the debt financing for the direct share issue. Company has secured a $400 million revolving credit facility with a tenure of three years in Blah, 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 blah. Nothing that means to us. I look forward to making those dreams a reality. All right, here's from the CEO and co-founder of EG7. I'm thrilled to be welcoming Daybreak into the EG7 family. Today, Daybreak is a studio I have the utmost admiration for, not only for their games, but the teams behind those games and services. Together, we have bold and exciting plans for the future and I look forward to making those dreams a reality for gamers all over the world. 
On behalf of the Daybreak team, we are elated to be joining the EG7 family. This is from Jason Epstein, the founder or the majority shareholder of, of Daybreak. The combined companies are strategically positioned to expand Daybreak's unique and iconic portfolio of live games and will help amplify our passion in making great games for our company communities as a long-term shareholder and a prospective board member. I look forward to working closely with management to come expand the company's footprint by identifying opportunities that fit the successful growth plan. Oh my God. Whatever that is, I guess the numbers checked out. I guess the number was so sound that a company such as EG7, which is sketchy in and itself, and I've heard are run by idiots. Uh, <laughs> saw them, saw enough value to buy a dying company, in my opinion, through Glassdoor, where no one's working out there. Right? No one want to work there. Uh, and is succeeding through a pandemic. Right? Some something is obviously afoot, where it's just beyond our mortal understanding of how a company is run and should be run. And uh, it, it just boggles my mind when, when something like that happens. Um, and what's, what's funny is that I go through EG7, there's a, like Mech Warrior. Didn't know Mech Warrior was still very popular. Um, I mean, I guess it has this very loyal fan base enough that uh, it kept that studio sustained, right? But that's another game where uh would not have thought of it being acquired uh, in the last two years. Maybe selling off licenses or uh, loaning that IP for another studio to build on. But I don't know. At least it falls in line with Daybreak. It's such a weird, odd thing uh, for it to be acquired. There's so much confusion. <laughs> I think at least in this episode and segment, uh, we can conclude that Daybreak was a terrible studio leading up to the acquisition. and But the financial information made sense where they felt like the IPs that the studio have built over the 15-year history, the three studios that have stayed afloat, uh, you know, three studios, three physical locations, three groups of people that Daybreak Management was managed, uh, has managed to kind of still finance is an achievement. It is... Even if they were barely surviving, they made it happen. And maybe that's why the layoffs worked, where it was always a temporary employment situation. Maybe it wasn't a a response to bad uh, reception to the games. I mean, it was part of their game plan. It's like we will hire people. And six to eight months later, we'll fire them. And then our books still look tight, right? And why we do that is that by the end of it, every year, our balance sheet will look great. So that when there's a prospective buyer like EG7, 
we can show them that we've been profiting every year and still are uh, keeping our studios afloat. Yes, because of the sacrifices, there was a lot of disgruntled employees on our reviews. But overall, as a business, we have sustained over 15 years. We have somewhat of a name and uh, we have valuable IPs that can be expanded uh, with the right team and the right financial support. And it is a pretty good sell, obviously, kind of thinking through that. It's a lot harder for studios to kind of start from scratch, right? Imagine EG7 with all that $300 million trying to spin up a new studio to maybe have one of those IPs uh, come into existence like EverQuest. That's a huge one. Uh, Planet Side 2, right? I mean, it was good enough to make a 2. And then H1Z1, even though none of my friends play it, nobody I know plays it, but it is a known IP. So, there were some talent that went through that studio that came up with these ideas. Unfortunately, it seems like they led all those guys out or at least what's left are a lot of disgruntled employees. Um, but EG7 still looked at Daybreak as a better scenario than spinning up their own studio. Sorry, guys. My camera keeps dying today. I'm going to leave the room. But uh, let it rest a little. But we'd love to know you guys' thoughts, man. Thank you for, for, for tuning in live and walking through <laughs> these episodes. I never know how it ends or would end when I kind of do these investigations. You know, I, I still want to be proven wrong by the end of it because I have my uh, intuition and... Uh, my my feelings on this on this stuff at the beginning that I, I wish to prove myself wrong enough where I'm like you know don't judge a book by its cover but to me it just kind of opened up this this whole side of the industry that I still need to learn about like the business side of investing and acquisition maybe that's something I'm going to explore more in the upcoming year because. Here's a company doing all the wrong things, but scored one of the best deals I think every game developer wishes to have when they build a studio, right? Through this bad practice that this podcast was built to kind of preach against, it found it found a new life with a $300 million acquisition. And this kind of further demonstrates this Epstein guy, J Jason Epstein, the, the, the majority uh, shareholder of Daybreak, uh, making all the right moves, right? So, it, it, it's one of those, it's one of those things that I don't know enough yet where it clearly shows me that I need to understand because there's so much component there's so many components to making a game but there's even more components uh to making a successful game studio uh and although i want to sit here and tell you guys that you know 
this is what Jason Schreier does a lot, right? Where there's like the virtual signaling of indie dev- developer rights or development rights. And, you know, my my thinking process behind that was how the podcast began in the first place. It's like game developer first always and there's nothing else. Uh, uh nothing else that should tamper with that uh, for a successful, sustainable business. But like I'm hearing a lot of this side of the business that to me needs some kind of, at least at the basic level understanding of for developers, you know, the crunch culture, the, the, the stupid equity acquisition thing that makes no sense, but somehow makes sense to people with money. Uh, And then, and then the ability to build IPs without closing studios down, which Daybreak successfully pulled off, right? Uh, this should be the worst year for any game studio. But Daybreak, despite a history three years plus of bad reviews and bad releases, uh, was able to find a solution which is <laughs> an acquisition i mean that how can you argue with the ceo making the wrong moves when all the moves led up to this right and so that's that condones a lot of people who 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 run studios like this and there's a language there that i feel that i myself am missing but a lot of ground floor developers are not understanding the full business of games. And I, for, for us to understand the full business of games, we have to look at both sides and look at situations like this and, and study it. Uh, I unfortunately don't have all the financial knowledge to kind of look through that financial sheet because once I understand that, I, I feel like there's something there to uncrack that really informs why why this made sense. And to us, it doesn't, right? So, I'll do a follow-up on this. Maybe I'll, in, in the article, I'll write more of my investigation. But uh, for now, that's all I got. That's the glass door. This apology, I think in terms of glass door confessions, we got the glass door confessions. People hate the place. It sucked the last three years. But the CEO obviously had a great time. <laughs> It made $300 million when everybody, uh, during a time when everybody's losing their job. So, he, he's obviously a, smarter than we are and he was always about the bottom line and he got it, which sucked. But, yeah, there's something there. It's it's crazy, man. Hopefully, this was an informative Game Dev Unchained podcast episode and I always want you guys, it's very easy to kind of like root for the smaller guys but keeping an eye on the bigger guys and what they're doing and their thinking process of making a successful game development studio is, is going to be key for, for you to be better. Um, if you want to be the small guy who, who can combat this kind of bad behavior, you have to understand where they're coming from and understand why they can make moves like this at the cost of your well-being. Uh, and it's not just as simple as us evil people being good at being evil it's like obviously there's a lot of knowledge here to to close deals like this so 
I want you guys to keep an open mind and hopefully this is informative. It's a bummer. Um, there's at least one episode left that will help hopefully flip this year around for you guys before we end 2020. But I think this is a, a, a good <laughs> good episode to remind you guys that there's so much more we got to learn and be that as a blueprint for 2021 for, for, for myself to kind of bring on people to kind of help explain this to me in a better way because there's a lot to learn. Thank you guys uh, for joining live and everybody, uh, as always, see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody